my guest today exited his software company for an eight-figure amount, a high one that he's going to talk more about and the lifestyle changes that he's had and not had, plus diving into how he helps advise other people going through this process in addition to investing and how he thinks about that. I sold my business and found it confusing about what's next. Things like wealth management, lifestyle, creative concierge services, fat fire, and a bunch more. This show, After the Exit, brings on guests who have experienced the same to share what they learned and helping others through the process. All right, let's jump on in. Super appreciate taking the time out to join me and just be open to talk about this kind of stuff. I felt like getting into it, going through the exit, there was a lot of things that I was discovering, but had to figure it out from doing a lot of Googling and reaching out to people. And so maybe this could help some other folks of collecting it all together in one spot instead of saying who to trust online. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a unique experience. Uh, it, it's something that uh, even the best will go through only a handful of times in their lives. Right. And most maybe, maybe once. Right. So it, it's definitely unique. And, and so having more information out there, I think is, is really good. Yeah. 100%. So your backstory before the business that you started and, and exited you know, well, where were you raised in here or where? Yeah. So, so I grew up in, uh, you know, Southern California, born, raised, and then, uh, went off to college, you know, went to, to Berkeley. Yeah. Once I graduated and then from there I moved to the East coast. So I got a little, little flavor of the East coast. I worked in uh Washington DC area. Oh, really? Is that in tech or no? It was, it was actually for the national security agency. So I was a crypt analyst, so I was I was cracking codes for the government. A crypt analyst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard of that. Wow. So, what do you mean by cracking codes for the government? <laughs> what can you say? What, what can I say? I say that it was definitely some of the most interesting work I've ever done and probably will ever do. You know, there's pluses and minuses for working for the government. Definitely the opposite of being entrepreneurial almost, <laughs> but there's some definitely unique and interesting things about working for them. So yeah, yeah, I got to try really interesting problems, math problems, other kinds of worldly problems. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Is there an example, and I'm getting hung up on this because I don't know exactly what a code may be. I, I'm thinking of an old, maybe World War II movie and it's coming through a Morse code, the submarine, and you're trying to figure out what it means. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the example is Alan Turing helped crack the Enigma, which was World War II. That was basically what the Germans were using to encrypt their communication. And he helped crack that, which kind of helped. There's kind of a turning point in, in the war there. There's a great movie on it. I forget the name of it. But but yeah, so so essentially that's what it is, right? So the government, you know, wants to kind of know what's going on and different areas of the world and part of doing that is is being able to crack codes got it got it and then did you start your business at the same time while you were working there or was it after or what was the transition there yeah it was after so i mean i i'd always been entrepreneurial like always had side projects doing different things but it was, it was really hard to to work for the government and have side projects the government isn't you know in some ways not too keen on that so, you know, I left the government. I was I was in D.C. 
moved back to the Los Angeles area and got a job out here. And then from there, I started doing some side projects and then worked, you know, got a job at a startup. That was my first real taste of what startup life is like and how it's fun and exciting and messy and challenging. And and then from there, I, I went full time on my company and started building that with someone I met at that last company I was at. Interesting. Okay. So in what role was it at that company or was it just small and everybody's doing everything? Yeah. So I, I, so I was a CISO at that company. And then I met my co-founder who was basically head of product running engineering. We got together and decided to kind of build this tech company out. Got it. Whose idea? It was you guys are just bouncing ideas off each other or is it, uh, how'd that work? Yeah. I mean, we kind of always talked about ideas. It was really my idea. I had been kind of testing things on the side, looking to to leave. That company got really messy. You mentioned startups are very messy. So it got very messy and it kind of looked like a good time to leave. And so I was testing things on the side and I was kind of, uh, you know, throwing links on Reddit, see what kind of ideas, you know, held some traction. Threw one up on Reddit and it went crazy, more more so than any other idea I had. And I was like, oh, there's something here. And then I went to uh, to my co-founder and kind of chatted about it and then started brainstorming and, and building on it. And that's kind of where everything kicked off. Interesting. That's cool. So you guys go full-time on this or was it part-time where you just jump in or what? It was part-time for me initially. My co-founder, he was full-time. So he was full-time. I was part-time for a very short time. And then I went all in you know, in 2018. Got it. Got it. So 18 going, you guys are working on it full time. What was the scaling? So just for timeline, it was 18 was going full time on it. And when was the exit? What year? It was 21. So three years, what was that scaling like in growth of the business? Yeah. I mean, the growth of the business was extremely quick. When you're in it, it feels slow, but it was very fast. Uh, So 2018 was really building product, talking to a lot of customers, refining and getting feedback and trying to figure out what actually the customers wanted. And so that was pretty much me and my co-founder. Uh, we had some some friends help out uh, along the way a little bit, but it was it was mainly us pushing things forward. We bootstrapped, so we didn't raise any money. And then we pushed along. And then I believe in May was our first revenue. We landed, we, we started, you know, I started full-time in January of 18. May was our first, first bit of revenue. And then we just started piling a little more revenue on top of that. And then actually what's kind of crazy thinking back on it is in December of 18, we were making money, but not enough to really pay ourselves salary. So we still weren't making any money. And I, you know, I was kind of depleting my savings and talking with my family. It was like, okay, you know, maybe in January I have to start looking for a job. And so we were pretty much one month away from kind of throwing in the towel and then really? in, in December, towards the end of December, beginning of January, we, we closed two very big customers. You know, they reached like 50000 each, essentially. And then we're like, okay, now we have some runway. We could pay ourselves some money. And then it just started growing from there. And then it went really pretty rapidly. We like 10x. 2019, we 10x'd revenue of 18. And then 20, we did, I think, 3x. And then 21, we did another 2 or 3x. Wow. So how did your you know family feel going full-time on this? It's like, sure, this, this is, sounds really exciting, but then the river really meets the road, but it's, all right, we've burned a lot of cash and we don't have a ton to show mm-hmm. for it. And obviously you believe in the time, I'm sure have to keep convincing others, but you know, how'd that all feel? Yeah. 
I mean, it's tough. I mean, I don't even know if I really believed it at the time. I mean, you say that, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard, it, you know, when you're depleting savings, no one's buying, you're having tons of sales conversations. I mean, I'm not a sales guy, but I was in that role. It's just, it, it can't be discouraging. So I don't know if I actually bought it myself, but you know, I, I knew there was something there and just had to kind of keep on pushing it. It was what I really wanted to do. I mean, luckily my spouse, she was very supportive. You know, she kind of knew what she was getting into when she married me. She kind of always knew I was building side projects and things and always very entrepreneurial. So she was very supportive. But yeah, I mean, once you get down and you're like, wow, we're, we're kind of depleting our savings. You know, it's not very fun. It's not a fun place to be. You know, luckily things things turned out very well. Yeah. Did you have kids then or no? Yeah. So when I started, I did. Yeah. So my son, he was at the time, I think nine, nine months old or something like that when I decided to go all in, you know, maybe a little bit younger. And so, you know, part of the decision-making for me was, am I showing my son, like, follow your passion, do what you, you want to do, you know, take your shot. And so that was part of the reasoning for me to, to jump in, even though it's really scary to have a young family and be like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. we, you know, we're, we're going to go through, through this money and who knows what's going to end up on the other side. I mean, you know, luckily, you know, my skill set uh, being tech and security, I felt uh, pretty strongly that I'd be able to find something if I needed to relatively quickly. So, you know, not too, too scary, but still, you know, kind of taking a little bit of risk for sure. Yeah. I just think about when I was running the business, it was so much a focus of only the business that props to you for having an established family that I just, I can't process being able to focus much else on it. Although maybe it would have been smarter because it would, you know, force delegating things off or, you know, better time management, whereas everything just got soaked up. But yeah. Yeah. You definitely have to be efficient, but I was definitely working, you know, my son went to sleep, work at nights, right? My son's taking naps, I'm working, right? So it, it was a lot of that. But yeah, I mean, it's really hard even, even outside of work when, when I'm, you know, with spending time, I'm sure you had this as well. Like you're not all there sometimes your, your mind is with the business and thinking about like, Oh, what do I have to do? How do I build it? How do I keep going? Yeah. Even when you're just having a dinner party or whatever, right. Your, your mind sometimes is, is still in the business, even though, uh, you, you know, you're not fully present at least for me anyway. And so that was something definitely with my son was a struggle, you know, during that time. And, but yeah, that makes but, sense. Uh, yeah. That's tough. You guys sell these two deals. So you're at a hundred thousand dollars which is huge. It sounds like, you know, at 50K a year, some sort of enterprise product, which is amazing. And then was it off to the races from there? Was the product market fit there? And then you're able to start selling more or, or what? Yeah. Then it was off to the races. Then we were really going for it. We actually, 2019, we spent most of the year, just him and I, and I was doing a little sales. I was very efficient in terms of the amount I'd be a top rep at most sales companies. <laughs> We're just like paying through demos <laughs> all day. I was day. just, yes, that was 100% my job. It was just like build up revenue. And then we really started building out the team toward the end of that year and then through the next year. Yeah, I mean, it, it did just start kind of rolling. Once we landed those two deals, it just gave us a little more money to do more things, to try more things and get more leads, build up. And then, yeah, revenue just kind of started coming in. Interesting. Are you able to share where you were at at the end of 19 or was with 100K in sales? Was that 18 or 2019? That was 18. Got it. 2018. 2019, we were over a million, you know, and then we just started doubling and tripling for the next few years, tripling and again. Yeah. Wow. 
I just think about the team and like trying to catch up with it of account management and support and, and product work and yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. We were working a ton and we were doing all of the roles and we were cutting corners. I mean, it's funny. I'm a security guy and my prior role was a CISO, right? But it's like even security got to cut some corners, right? If I was a CISO at the company, I'd be like, absolutely not. We can't do this. But yeah. you know, as a CEO, I was like, oh no, we absolutely have to do this because we need to survive. We need revenue and you know, we're going to cut some corners. But you know, you, you kind of have some of that debt, like debt, but plus I think operational debt. And you know, we kind of were able to recovered from that when we started hiring yeah but it was a lot at the time it was a lot it was yeah ton of work for for both of us but we were such an efficient team i mean even when we started hiring the revenue per employee was extremely high did you ever think about selling or i think about bootstrapping and it was just total focus on the business and the product and it wasn't much of a thought given ever to selling how were you thinking about it yeah so we had gotten a lot of unsolicited offers to buy our company. So we were very lucky in that regard. Do you remember when that started, by the way? I mean, it started pretty early on, actually. Huh. I would say probably in 2019. Why? Well, like, why do you think? Like, I heard that. So when we started to get it, I asked one of them and they said it was because we hit a certain employee threshold on LinkedIn and that triggered their CRMs and they started reaching out. But interesting. Interesting. No, I mean, I think it was just you know, there's a lot of acquisitions in, in the security space and a lot of interest and it's a, a great market. So I think, you know, that was part of it. I was really pushing partnerships and having a lot of conversations with others in the industry. And so some of the conversations came out of those. But yeah, I, I think it was just, you know, good timing, good industry. And so that's, you know, we started getting, you know, it was just me and my my co-founder and we were, you know, having meetings with Fortune 100 companies. So you know, we were starting to get attention. And I think that's kind of, you know, what brought some of that on. Interesting. Do you feel like you handled some of those early M&A conversations well? Like, oh, and I think about, I was taking a couple of those calls. I didn't know what the process was. Like, I didn't know about maximizing the value or pitch it this way. Don't say this. Don't say that. I was just like, look, here's everything. Here's what it is. Here's all I'm at. This is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I probably could have handled them a bit better, but I mean, luckily my co-founder, he actually had started and sold a company previously. So he kind of, you know, some background on that. So, you know, we, we definitely had discussions about it. I definitely didn't give too much information and try to feel out, are they serious? Are they not? But, you know, none of them really got to the threshold where it was really interesting for us. Why? Was that just like a price thing or you just felt it was too early for the company? It was both. I mean, we were just growing so fast. It was like, what they're offering. It's like, we're going to outgrow that in three, six months. Like, let's just keep building. And so that was a lot of it. So where were you when you took a deal more seriously? And then why take it then to like, I guess, so where was a company size wise where you were thinking about it? Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I think we were at a point where if we had an acquisition, it would be a very sizable amount. We were really well in revenue with revenue. I think, you know, I actually, before we, we sold, we had had some conversations with some investment bankers. We had a lot of inbound from investment bankers. I don't know if you had that as well, but we always had inbound from them because it is such a hot market. But we started actually reaching out to some just to kind of interview and see if it was a good fit or whatever. I think the timing, we were big enough where there was substantial value, where was the bulk of my net worth was in the company. So there was obviously risk there. And then, you know, I think just building it for, 
even it doesn't sound that long when you're like it was less than four years but it was 100 of us for that time it was a lot i think we were kind of burned out and ready to kind of take a break so i think that was a big part of it as well interesting so so maybe the stars align with like yeah the exactly. amount your guys's mental state and for sure for sure and and 2021 was a a great year in terms of the valuations and everything so it, yeah i think it was just stars aligned with with everything that was like okay now it makes sense for us to see about exiting did you have a number you know, like I, on uh, Fat Fire that you always see, like this is the number that, that I'd be good sort of retiring. I, I feel like I never necessarily had that because I wasn't as much thinking about it, but it is interesting to analytically try to actually put that together. Did you have that? Well, so, you know, when we first started the company, we kind of set out with a goal, even kind of before we focused on the idea, we're like, let's build a company I'd sell for 40 million or more, right? In that range. Cause it's like, it's much easier to sell a company in that range than it is, you know, once you get into hundreds of millions, right? The number of buyers or even more, like the number of buyers kind of thins out, uh, it gets much harder. And if you're much lower than that, there typically hadn't been a lot of buyers cause you're a little bit too early. You know, they want to see that you mature a little bit more. So that kind of sweet spot in the 30 to like 80 million range. And so we're, we just started out, we just threw out a number, let's sell for 40 million and we'll, well, this amount or whatever. So that was kind of a thought in our head. But then as we got closer, you know, I looked, you know, with some financial planners at like, okay, what did, what does this mean? What kind of house could we buy? Could we live forever? You know, what would be our budget if we sold for X, Y, Z amount? And so that's kind of how we figured out, okay, this, this kind of makes sense or not. Interesting. Okay. So we had another guest and they, they were talking sort of similarly of planning from the exit and it was, here's the number that I'm looking for. And then backing into that with what you spent all this time on. And it's kind of cool that you actually did the same. Do you think after the exit wise, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but do you think that that number gets pushed back? Pushed back? You mean lower or higher or what? Like A, do you feel like you hit your number and B, do you think that it's the same as you feel like, awesome, I accomplished it? Or is it now like, it's like 2x this? Yeah, I mean, we exceeded, so we exceeded what we set out to do. So that's obviously a huge, huge win, right? So, I mean, part of, part of the way I think about it is, did, did we maximize value? You know, like looking back, do I regret selling? Like the, the answer is, is definitely not. And do I regret selling at that time? Definitely not. So I think for those reasons, and and did you know at the time did we maximize the value we could get? And I think all that that's yes. So I I think, you know, looking back, I'm not thinking, oh man, we could have gotten more, or should have kept building, or or any of those things, or I needed more or whatever. I, I think I'm, you know, pretty happy now. But it, it's definitely you know a different feeling having money in a bank versus cash flow. So it definitely feels different. I think, even though there's more money sitting in you know investment accounts. It's different than, you know, I'm getting X amount every month. So it's just shifting the mindset on how you think about that. Which do you prefer, the cash flow or the... Well, I think, you know, it's good to have money in a bank for sure. But I think cash flow, you feel richer, even even if it were less, right? You know, for example, say you had $20 million in a bank. Obviously, you're rich. You have $20 million in a bank. And, you know, you're trying to earn interest on that. But if you have a million dollars every year for 20 years, it's like, that's... It's the same amount of money, but I feel like since it's coming in constantly and you're like comfortable with it coming in and it's not like, what's the market doing or what my investments are doing? It's like, you know, it's coming in. You kind of feel like it feels a little safer, maybe. 
just in my mind. But not to say that I, I don't like having money in a bank, but cash flow is, is interesting. Part of what I've been doing is thinking about how do I get that cash flow and in different ways. Yeah, that's interesting. And so did you have an earnout where you had to be a part of the company for a certain amount of time or no? I didn't. No. Luckily I did not. That was always my concern. <laughs> oh, of wanting or to not have it? Yeah, well, either whoever bought us, they would want something like that and I'd have golden handcuffs for X number of years because you know, my personality is not to have a boss and then you have a boss and you're forced to have a boss. So yeah. <laughs> so that was always always my fear. <laughs> so I, I was happy not to have anything like that. It's interesting on the uh, cash flow aspect is that, do you think that pushes you now to be hungry to do something else or is it more, because, you know, obviously the investments pay dividends, so there is income in a way, but you're right. Like it's not a, like owning a business type and you, you know, you can pull distributions and salary and, and so on. But like, do you seek wanting to have that and like act, trying to act on it, whether new company or real estate or anything else? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's first, it's like shifting the mindset, right? I mean, I've had a salary now for, for a long time, for decades, right? So it's like shifting the mindset. So I think that's part of it. And then, yeah, I mean, part of me is like, it's nice to have money coming in. <laughs> Even if it wasn't a significant amount at all, it's just like knowing it's there and even if it were just a, a small amount, being like, okay, I can just spend this because it's right, coming right. in. I know it's coming in, right? So it's just like, yeah, different mentality. But it does make me think like maybe I would build something that's cash flow business that's maybe a little bit smaller scale and do something that's fun to kind of just pull in some revenue and do something like that. So yeah, it's definitely made me think about doing something like that. That makes sense. You know, on your Twitter book, it talks about high eight-figure sales, so, which is huge. It sounds like past your... So you came up with, though, this sort of number beforehand, but kind of going back to that, do you feel that it's changed at all or do you feel satisfied? I feel satisfied, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always like, you know, this thought of like, what if I had more? Could I have more? You know, when what is enough, right? There's always that kind of <laughs> thinking. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like I went out and bought a ton of stuff or just blowing blowing through money right now. So, you know, I'm definitely extremely happy where I am and, and you know, very fortunate with how things turned out. And so, you know, I think I'm no, no don't need double or triple or whatever. <laughs> it's interesting. Going through that exercise, I definitely thought, oh, well, I've definitely exceeded my goals, but like what if my goal was three X that like that would be really cool, you know, to see that. And going through the exercise for sure of, all right, am I willing and ready to sacrifice my life again, you know, to to really push for something like that? And the exactly, answer is absolutely yeah. not, at le- you know, yeah. at least for the, the foreseeable future. Same with me. It's like, yeah, I know how painful it was to go through and how hard and how much of yourself you have to put into it. And so is it worth uh, doing again? And and for, for me at this point, no, it's, it's it's not. Was there anything to mention the due diligence process that maybe was surprising or, or something, even maybe before that, that you would have done to try to maximize the deal? I think things were pretty good on the diligence side. The, the diligence was kind of crazy. It was very extensive and they wanted to close the deal. Well, we, we wanted to close the deal quickly too, but they wanted to. So it was like 35 days. And it was just very intense. There were a lot of very late nights pulling documents and 
yeah getting everything together and all of that so that was very intense and then the final hour actually we did have a delay in the final hour <laughs> my co-founder and i were actually swapping out some open source licenses that, that didn't quite fly so so there's some things like that yeah so you don't think about that stuff but it was like yeah the last night we were up until i think two or three in the morning just to swap out some licenses you know swap out some some software and make sure that everything was good what what, what are those called if you run a software company definitely look to make sure you're not I, I, was it oh gosh i can't remember but there was something there that if you use it you have to also open source whatever code you're using it and you know you want to make sure none of that. yeah exactly yeah one of the licenses yep i don't remember the name but yeah there there is stuff like that so that's you know when you're building a company you don't really think you're there's a billion libraries out there in software to use and pull in and they make it so easy and then Later, you're like, oh, wait, but this is a license that means I have to open source all my stuff or whatever. Yeah. So there were some, definitely some of that that we were scrambling last minute, but but we were able to solve that. Did you use a broker? Uh, no, we did not. Do you think that would have been helpful or no? No, I think, you know, as I mentioned, we were talking with some investment bankers to kind of help. I think at the point where we were, I think we did a great job in terms of max value. Actually, what, what ended up happening was we had an inbound from a company that I knew pretty well that just got bought by private equity and they were like, oh, we want to roll you up and buy you. So he's like, oh, that's really interesting. I, I know them. It's interesting. And they actually gave a, a very fair offer. And then an advisor of mine said, yeah, that, that sounds great, but you definitely need to make sure you have another offer. And he's like, let me let me call around. And, and he called someone that he knew and he was like, hey, there's this company. And he talked about us. And then you know, they were interested and that's actually who we ended up going with. Oh, I mean, wow. I think you definitely want, you know, w- more than one potential acquirer at the table. I think that makes a huge difference. But, you know, brokers, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes they can help and maximize value and do, do that. But I think for us, we, we did pretty well otherwise. And, you know, the firm that we liked the best, the investment bankers, I went back and chatted with them. They thought we, we did we did very well. So that, that's at least a little bit reassuring. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds good. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Did you have multiple offers or or not? Yeah, you did. And I did not strategically think about going through that. It was just that when I started answering one email from inbound, I was like, oh, I need to answer the rest of these. Um, So I just laid them out in an Excel sheet and it was just going through one by one. And majority was just not a good fit. And so, and then a good handful was, yeah, it, it was. And then I was, I, did not go with the highest. It was close to it, but it was more that it really liked the group compared with some of the others. And so I, and I thought it was a better, I did not want an earn out. And then it was also, it was a better fit I felt for the team and, and the product long-term. Was it, I mean, was it a significant amount difference or was it kind of a rounding error? No, it was probably over an earnout phase. It was like, mathing the percentage like 25 percent more oh wow yeah that's that's pretty but, significant you know the attorney said be very careful of earnouts and i see yep. why now also but the thought was you know look the, the motivations are slightly misaligned going forward so you may want to invest here and here and here they don't and they want to invest in abc and so now what Right, they clearly hold the cards, but you are based on uh, like you want to make the earnout too. So it's 
very tricky and they were like these can end up in litigation a lot of times that we see so and to be honest i was tired like mm-hmm. i was mentally and that's why i started answering some of these inbound requests i was just yeah going through this phase where it was hard to now it was all right we need to bring on management and doing this the other things that would take some significant spend and probably going into a bit of the red so being bootstrapped as well it just I was like, all right, let, yeah. let's let's just pick the best place. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, being bootstrapped, you're kind of you're you're building a company with one arm behind your back, right? You don't have all this funding to be like, oh, we're just going to hire these people to help and all this. It's like you got to make sure that like you're really managing your cash flow. You don't want to get into trouble, right? <laughs> and I would absolutely do it again. I think it's just yeah, you you're building something very real and has good foundation and is profitable. But absolutely, you can't just go willy nilly. Like maybe if you raise VC, which uh, you're supposed to go a bit. When you guys fully signed, everything was done, where's head? What, what did that feel like? It was pretty awesome. So we fully signed. It was actually, well, we fully signed in the morning. And then, you know, we kind of knew it was going to close. So my wife and I, we scheduled like afternoon tea. So we went to tea. <laughs> so we were having a good time. Gold but flakes but, tea or, you know, <laughs> just regular green tea or what? Yeah. I mean, like, it was like, you know, they have the small little sandwiches and, you know, the tier of the food and they're pouring you tea. It, it was pretty awesome. But the wires were delayed and they hadn't hit. So I was like refreshing, <laughs> refreshing the bank account. Yeah. And I'm like, what's going on here? And it was before a long weekend. And so if they didn't get it out. You know, there was a holiday. And if they didn't get out, it was going to be a big delay. So I was like, what's going on here? So it was like, you know, through that, a lot of refreshing. But once we got home, like in the afternoon, it, it hit. And it was it was definitely pretty surreal feeling for sure. Did you go out and go buy a Ferrari or what? <laughs> definitely no Ferraris. You know, I didn't buy anything crazy at the time. You know, I always was like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll sell and buy a Tesla or whatever. Yeah. Uh, still haven't still haven't done that. You know, I mean, look, looking at it, I'm more practical. So looking at it, it's like my wife and I, you know, we don't need two cars, really. We already have a, one good car. That's fine. That we both pretty much use. And so, like, why would we get a second car? So just thinking about it practically, like, doesn't make sense to just go and buy it. So I still haven't bought that. But no, no nothing crazy. You know, for me personally, you know, the biggest lifestyle changes would be traveling a little bit more. You know, love to travel. So traveling more and then just a, a bigger bigger home for for the family. So th- those are pretty much the choices, but no outlandish purchases or anything like that. Have you seen the forum on Reddit called Fat Travel? I have not, no. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like the luxurious travel and the, you know, they'll, they'll share tips or places or, or agencies or things that they use to have very luxurious travel. Did, did the way you guys travel change? A little bit, yeah. I mean, definitely business class for long-haul flights, every, every long-haul flight for sure. And it's more about just like being able to lie flat and sleep is a game changer. I de- definitely don't need, you know, first class or anything like, like business is, is sufficient. But but even like, you know, like high-end hotels, it's like, you know, you're sleeping in the place. You know, there's not a significant difference. You kind of get used to it. So it, it's not even really worth it, you know, in terms of like overpaying for hotels just because they're a little bit nicer for us anyway, in, in my opinion. So pretty much just... Just that. And then, you know, I did hear, you know, I was in a talk where I heard about like the VIP concierge service service when you when you land somewhere uh, internationally. That's kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm going to try that coming up and see if that that's worth it or not. Yeah, same 100%. Did you notice much uh, lifestyle creep 
I mean, okay, travel is one aspect, but maybe everyday type of things. Not really. No. You know, we still grocery shop in the same place. We eat out about the same. We, yeah, there's not much creep that that we've had. Yeah. No, no, luckily not too much. Was there any, I remember having this conversation with the tax attorney and everything. Was there any tax optimization things that you were thinking about or doing or prepped for? Definitely had a lot of conversations about it leading up to it. And there were definitely some things we could do, most of which are, they are so complicated. There's so much work. You know, some of them you need to trust people in other states to help you and things like that. And it just gets to a point where is it really worth it? You know, obviously, if you tell someone the dollar amount that you're saving, they'll be like, yeah, it's definitely worth it. But when you look at an overall percentage of what you'd be saving, is it worth it for the amount of work, the relationships that you need to keep in place and make sure you know, all of those things. So I, I think in the end, you know, trying to optimize for taxes really didn't make sense. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, people are like, you know, it's more worthwhile to make more money than it is to save money, right? Like you can clip coupons and, you know, save pennies, but your your upside there is capped. Whereas if you're going to look to make money, your upside is not capped. So, you know, if it comes to a point where it's like, oh my gosh, the taxes really killed me, it's better to look to make more rather than try to optimize on that and deal with that. That was our calculus anyway on it. Yeah, that makes sense. What about just you mentally? Like you're working super hard for three to four years here. And then I don't know how long you stayed with the company before leaving, but obviously it's like, feels like you're like, you know, sprinting around the track and then they're all of a sudden like, stop, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Heart's pumping and everything else is going <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, okay, Let's. it was definitely slow down, which was actually nice. So I worked there for about nine months after the exit. And so, you know, slowing down was nice. Definitely, you know, I think the first couple of weekends, my wife was like, wow, you're not just on your phone or your computer all weekend. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, you're like hanging out with us. And so yeah. that was, that was cool. We're having a um, legit you know, conversation without like zoning <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was present, which was awesome. And so I got to spend time being present and, you know, it was a good transition rather than just stop and leaving the company right away. So like kind of still working and, you know, give me time to think about, you know, what I wanted to do and, and also help the company transition. And then when I, you know, when I quit full time, it was like, yeah, just trying to figure out what I want to do. And, you know, it's not an easy thing for someone to, you know, I, I mean, it's always a hard question. What do you want to do with your life, right? Or if, if you won the lottery, what would you do with your life? It's easy to say, oh, I would just travel or whatever. But it's like, okay, well, I have kids and they're in school. And yeah, I mean, we could pull them out and travel, but there's a lot of work there and, and implications for, for that kind of thing. So, you know, just trying to think like what drives meaning for me now, you know, it, it, it's a tough question and it's something I've been thinking about. I try to give myself, you know, it's only been, it's been like six months or so. So I'm like, uh, it hasn't been that long. So and give myself space to and I think about that. I mean, I've worked ever since I left college, uh, you know, full-time, you know, never really taking a significant break. What did you start to do with your time? I mean, I imagine, you know, yeah, all right, the calendar was probably already starting to get more empty over those nine months, but then afterwards, no weekly check-ins or anything else like that. What do you, what do you start to fill your time with? A lot of it is, is friends, you know, hanging out with friends and stuff, you know, more consistently, which is pretty awesome. You know, so certain friends, I have like a weekly lunch or whatever that I go with that I never, never would have done before. You know, meeting up with people like that. I was very active, you know, I was taking tennis lessons and playing basketball weekly and things like that. And then I kind of injured myself. 
So I had to take a break from that. And so it was just trying to, you know, find things I'm interested, play with different different technologies and things. You know, generative AI has been interesting for me to kind of play with and, and look at. Definitely more more time with my kids. Definitely any chance now I get, I'm, I'm traveling with the family. So things like that are, are filling up time. But definitely a lot more of it is, you know, building relationships with people that I, you know, before didn't really have time to make the time to continually get together with, with people and spend time with them. Yeah. With the friends and family, was there any issues, you know, around that or talking about wealth or things like that with maybe more extended family or friends or like your lifestyle changing versus them or how'd that work? Yeah. I mean, not really. I mean, that was a big concern for me. Still kind of is, you know, it's always in the back of my mind, but you know, I didn't go out and tell people how much money I made or how much I have. And you know, it's kind of funny, actually, the people, you know, people I'm close with will kind of guess or, you know, be like, I think you made or whatever. But it's funny, people always guess low for whatever reason. They <laughs> get their head around how big it actually could be. Yeah. I find that interesting. So so people probably, even if they have in their mind how much they think, it's probably much less than it actually is, which is a fine, fine by me. But yeah, I mean, I think having those, you know, I really didn't want relationships to change or the dynamics of relationships to change. So luckily I feel with you know, most people it hasn't, you know, so far, you know, I don't know what they say behind, <laughs> behind yeah. those doors, but I think you know, we've tried to, you know, try, try to make sure that doesn't happen. What about people that ask? Cause I, I do find people that are like, Oh, how's the company? Or like, what do you do? Or, you know, things like that. How do you respond to that? Yeah. I mean, what do you do is a tough one now. It's like, I don't know. I, you know, I'm retired. I'm like, that's kind of weird being you know, relatively young and being retired. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. So, you know, I usually will say like I'm an entrepreneur or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, that's a tough one. It's kind of, uh, you know, weird to to grapple with like those questions. Have you had extended family or I, I don't know if you've been open with them or on wife's side or yours where you didn't tell them about it because it was like eh, it doesn't necessarily matter but they'll say oh you know how's you know the company doing or things like that mm-hmm. you just like sort of answer like it's you're still there actively or what no i we were pretty open that i sold the company and so we kind of told everyone that so got it that, okay. that wasn't anything surprising so like yeah i sold my company and that's kind of what it was how did you think about allocating funds after so I found it was interesting to think about there was just a lot of opportunities or maybe I was just running through all the different opportunities if I wanted to not mess this up. Like you mentioned, won the lottery, awesome. But now what to invest in? And there's a million and one opinions online, uh, people and and advisors and so on. How did you go through that and what did you decide? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, part of me was for a certain amount of time you have you have the money that you're going to pay pay taxes, right? But it's like, that can be significant and you want to earn interest on that while you have it. So part of my thinking was, I want to deploy this money as quickly as possible so I can get something. But also, I need to make sure it's not super risky because I actually have to give this money away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to take a huge loss and then have to give, give it away or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, go- going back, so I deployed my capital very quickly. If I could go back, I would have been uh, slower uh, about it, but I kind of, was in the mindset, I need to get this deployed because every day is, you know, X amount and whatever. But, you know, I think that was kind of naive thinking. So, 
you know, when when I first deployed, I actually gave a good chunk of it to a wealth management company. I had talked with many wealth management companies, and I, I settled on one that I liked the best. They do they do more than just like here's your bonds and here's your stocks, and that's kind of what we're doing for you. And maybe they'll do some you know tax loss harvesting. They do more with alternative assets and things like that. So that kind of was you know very interesting to me, and actually that turned out to be you know what kind of saved a lot of the portfolio last year when things were down stocks and bonds. So I really like them. So I gave them a big chunk, but then I was like, you know, I want to kind of do some of my own investing. And, you know, I tried kind of different things with different amounts and seeing what kind of worked, you know, some angel investing, some real estate, some private credit, a lot of different things trying to, to get by. I mean, I, last year was difficult, I think for many, luckily I beat, beat the market, which just meant I, you know, means I was less negative than than, <laughs> than the market. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I think you know, going through that process made me realize, okay, here's really where I should concentrate. Here's what I should do. You know, giving more control. You know, I was very even even though I really liked the wealth management company, I was very obviously. You know, I'm trying to be conservative and well, I want to maintain this money throughout my life. So thinking through, you know, being conservative even with them, even though I like them and I you know, did research on them, just being like, I, I still don't necessarily trust them completely. But, you know, now that I've seen them operate, being more trusting with them, giving them more more control over what they do with the funds and uh, giving them a little bit. Was your thought like, I'll give it a go for a year and then see what it looks like or kind of hawkishly just looking at everything and double checking and so on? Yeah, that was more that, just kind of like double checking and seeing where, where things are. And yeah, I mean, some, you know, some mistakes I've made and you know, some is just market timing that it's just, you can't, you can't do much about, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think learning through that, but I, I think it's given me a much better idea of how to manage things going forward. And then also, you know, if I do, maybe you know, if I'm lucky enough to have another event like this, I can kind of manage it much better. What were you looking for from the advisor, the, the wealth manager rather? Like, was it, you wanted to just be able to you know, sleep at night and not have to worry about it. But at the same time, it sounds like you do want to be pretty heavily involved or is it like their advice or or what? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just access to investment, right? That's what I wanted. And the wealth management company I went with, they have access to investment. So they have quite a bit of assets under management. So because of that, they get into different funds and different things that, you know, as an individual, you couldn't really get into. So, you know, they have different real estate funds and hedge funds and different income funds and things like that, that they're able to get access to. And so it's really, for me, it was getting access to that rather than I want you to put my money in some stocks and, you know, watch that for me kind of thing. So it was really the alternatives that that was interesting to me and and the access that they had getting into those and also the due diligence and research they did to make sure that they were really solid investments. Interesting. Can you share the or do you know the rough allocation? Like, is it like 50% just general S&P index, 50% sort of these private credit and alternatives? Yeah, off the top of my head, I don't know exactly. But actually, I and there, you know, some wealth management companies I know are more strict. Like, you give us the money and we're going to do it and you can't tell us anything. They're more willing to to work. You know, they I can kind of direct them and tell them and work. To, you know, it's more collaborative, I guess. Yeah. And so there's actually a very small amount in in any kind of stocks. There were just some funds that they were like, you know, and they were like, oh, we think energy is going to be great for whatever 
time. We think you should put at least a little bit into some energy. And obviously that has been really great. So yeah, yeah, I told them I didn't want them to put too much into the market or whatever. So with them, it's a very small percentage. I don't know exactly off the top of my head, 10 to 20% maybe. And then some, they have access to interesting bonds. A lot of, they do a lot of private credit, which is actually done really well. And then some other alternative funds. Yeah, I've seen the private credit and that looks like it's done well. Mine too, although the, uh, and some of these private like real estate type funds, that's been pretty good. What do you feel like has been your biggest challenge mentally after the sale? I think initially it was just kind of accepting and getting my head around, you know, what had happened and kind of the new reality of everything. But it was my goal to like never work again. You know, it was always kind of the goal from this is like have the optionality and the flexibility to not work. It's like that saying, I'd rather work, I'll work a hundred hours a week. So I never have to work 40 hours a week again. And so you know, that was kind of my mentality about things. I mean, now it's, you know, obviously, you know, in the back of my mind is, is figuring out what will give me meaning to, for the rest of my life. And, you know, where do I want to spend my time and my energy? You know, what kind of things do I want to work on and be a part of? How are you trying to figure that out? Because I, I go through that. I know some other folks have mentioned that too. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, a lot of it is is reading, it's brainstorming. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, what's really helpful you know, is having kids is like, if I'm ever like, what am I doing with my life? Just spending more time with them and, you know, raising them and putting more energy into them gives a ton of meaning. So at least I have that <laughs> to fall back on if I never figure out what, what I actually want to do. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've slowly been brainstorming and putting down ideas and trying to come up with what that might look like. But I still think I need to you know, get over all the burnout and everything before I jump back in. I feel that. I feel that. Are there any books or, or podcasts or newsletters that you're checking out? Yeah, I mean, you know, I listen to All In Podcast, which I find, you know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I've been reading, you know, interesting books on, I feel like everyone that kind of sell a company or whatever, and then they, they get into longevity. So I've been, <laughs> I've been <laughs> yeah. reading reading about longevity. It's like, 100%. Yeah, now I have money. Now I want to live forever and be yeah. healthy. And how how do I optimize the last like 5% <laughs> yeah. of health? Um, and then you kind of like look at, <laughs> I don't know. It's always weird to compare, right? Because it's like, oh, well, I thought Buffett just eats you know, McDonald's and stuff. And exactly. Does he eat McDonald's? It, it, yeah. Or, you know. <laughs> McDonald's and sees candy, right? That's yeah. like his, his jam. But yeah, so, you know, things like that. And then, you know, I have read books on wealth and stuff, you know, like die with zero or, you know, things like that to try to think about what does it mean to have money and live with it and how you should do it. That one just came up actually. Yeah. Was there anything that changed your perspective after reading that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, first is, you know, enjoy life, right? Experiences are, are, are all that really matter. So, so buying things, you know, I always, I always knew buying things that matter, but you know, buying experiences is really where it's at. And that's where you should be allocating your money and, and doing the things you want to do while you're young enough to be able to do them. Because as you're older, you won't be able to do some of the things. Climb Everest, you should do it while you're young and fit enough. If you're like, oh, I'm going to retire at 65 and do that, probably won't happen. And then also, you know, giving giving money to, to your children while they're still young and healthy enough to enjoy it, right? I mean, if you're going to live until you're until your kids are in their 40s or 50s or whatever, then that might be too late when you actually give them the money. So give them the money when when they can enjoy it in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s, depending on 
um, you know, how they manage wealth or whatever. Interesting. And so they can enjoy and do those things while they're still young and can do that. So it's interesting to think about. How do you think about wealth and kids and just making sure to, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I would have a bias to wanting them to be super hungry and they'll go build something, but that's probably not going to happen. But how do you say that? And then, and then also you talk about giving the money. I've seen two perspectives of some. It's like, all right, I'm just going to set you up. Here, I'll pay for college. You're good to go. And then I plan on trying to spend or donate the rest. And then others like not wanting to set them up. What's your thought? Yeah, I think it really, at this point, we haven't decided exactly what we're doing. And I think a lot of it depends on the, the child and the personality of the child and how they are with money and all of those things. So I think having, you know, relatively young kids, it's, we still have a while to, to figure those things out. You know, I would like to help them and set them up, but I do want them to be hungry. You know, I grew up in a community with, there were a lot of wealthy people, kind of like half really wealthy and half not as maybe like middle class. And it's interesting because I know examples of really wealthy kids, really wealthy kids. And some, they are just killing it, working and doing amazing things and they're doing really well. And then others who are just lazy and never found meeting in life and are kind of just getting by, figuring out what they want to do with their life and the world. And they're in their forties now or whatever. And so, yeah, I definitely want to have kids. Like, I don't think money necessarily means you're going to have kids who aren't hungry, right? I think a lot of it is is how you raise them and and look at it, and not that it's easy. I'm still figuring it out, <laughs> but yeah. Do you have an inclination towards one of those or the other? It's like here you go, or no, I'm just setting your foundation up and you figure out the rest. I mean, I would like to, you know, most of it to to make it. I mean, we do have like a donor advised fund that we donate from, so we have money already set aside for that, and so I like the money that we have to mostly to go to our children and help them and make their lives easier, allow them to do things they might not be able to do otherwise. But I don't want to do that at the expense of them not being, you know, productive members of society and finding meaning and doing interesting things in their own lives. Yeah. Makes sense. And then, uh, all right. So I think wrapping up, like what advice do you feel like somebody's going through selling the business? They don't necessarily know what's next just sort of working through getting through to diligence. What would you say to them right now? So is someone going through due diligence right now? Well, like, yeah, going to be closing soon, you know, wire will hit and then like, hey, this is what you should be thinking about or this is maybe uh, what you should read about or things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there is, you know, I think for a lot of people, there's like the desire to to jump into something right away right to like okay now i'm gonna start something else or i'm gonna do something or or spend money right away like buy that furry or whatever so i you know i think it's good always good to pause reflect uh, like process it for a little bit it took me a little while to process it and like sit with it and be like okay this is the new reality and what does that mean and what is it like so i always think if there's any big changes in life like take time and process it before you're going to make any other big changes so i think that would be my advice Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks. I appreciate the time, of course, listening and appreciate everybody listening to this episode. We'll see you on the next one. Awesome. Thank you.